All right. There we are. There we is. Welcome, everyone. It's another day of worship. Day of the Lord, right? Praise God for that. That we can uh, all be here together. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll have not too many of those uh, moments of static or whatever that is. <clears throat> but uh, we are going to. Uh, we're going to. I, I believe today we should be able to get through the final part, the last few verses of uh, of Isaiah here in fourteen. Um. As there was a lot more here than uh, um, was expected. <laughs> As we often find when we start digging into God's Word, right? Um, there's just so much there. And, uh, <clears throat> and so the last, uh, the last 12 verses that we uh, spent last week, we focused on, on pride and the aspects of pride, what happens. Um, the, the, message of the, tit- uh, the title of the message is when the mighty are cast down. And hopefully this will be the conclusion. Um, pride is a, uh, it's a killer. It kills. It's as simple as that. Pride is a killer. Um, God hates pride. And, uh, as I was saying yesterday, there's, there's, uh, uh, the one aspect of pride that is, that is negative, um, that we have no business being proud. But there's the other aspect of it. Um, you know, when we think about, uh, um, our children and when they accomplish something, when they're, they put forth the effort and they, they want to uh, um, excel in something and, and you just let them do it. And even with the failures and everything, and when they come through and it's, uh, it's well done, and even if it's not, you know, in the world's eyes well done, it was as well done as they could do, um, there, there is that sense of, of, of pride. And in that, it's, it's a good thing. And spiritually speaking, there is that, that killer pride that kills us, that destroys. Um, and it can affect anyone. It can affect any believer. Um, as Paul says, let, you know, let, let us be careful uh, that we think we stand lest we fall. That's pride. <clears throat> and it's a caution to every believer that we have to be careful about those things. Because really, as I said last week and as I've said the week prior and many other messages, we're just puffed up dirt. There's nothing for us to be really proud of. I mean... We're dependent totally and utterly on God, right? And uh, and that's uh, um, that's why pride is one of those things where um, you know who are we but puffed up dirt? What do we have to be proud proud of? Um, except those 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 uh, times when we're like I said with with kids, or or maybe we uh, are uh, in the talents that God has given us, and we accomplish something there. Sometimes when uh, um, one of the things that that I find, and I get a great sense of uh, accomplishment and, and yeah, even even pride, is being in the construction trades for all the years that I've been in, and I'm on the finish end of it. So I get to see when it's all finished, and when a job's well done, you can, you can go, wow, that, was, that looks really good. It turned out better than even I thought it was going to. And that's good. That's a good thing. <clears throat> that's not bad. That's not horrible. That's just acknowledging, man, thank you, Lord, for giving me those talents and abilities and the willingness to do this, because not everyone can do it. Trust me, I know. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm just, uh, I was telling Jeremy and some of the other people that I just started a little, a little job, and, and it's, it's crazy what people think is, is passable. <laughs> and so, uh, because the, the people that I'm working for, it was one of their friends that 
did it that said that they knew how to do tile. Um, I just kept it down to a minimal and just kept things to myself. And as I'm tearing this thing out going, I have never, ever. I've been doing tile work specifically since, I, since 1990, just to give you an idea. So that's a pretty good amount of time. And I'm tearing this thing up going, I have never in all these years ever seen anything like this. I've never seen anything this crazy. I never even imagined anything like this. Um, and uh, it's unfortunate, but that's, uh, you know, but God's given me the ability to do some of those things. And, and I've learned and I have a natural curiosity about things. And that's primarily how I learned those things. I didn't know that I was going to be in construction when I was a kid and doing, being able to do uh, mill work and do, uh, uh, you know, all kinds of finish work and, and all the things that I'm able to do. But I can, I can thank God that he's given us these different facets of, uh, of, and different levels of, of things that we can do and talents and, and uh, plug into those things. They're good. And glorify God with them. Um, that's one of the things that, uh, that I'm doing with this little job is praying that uh, God would just open up that door of opportunity where I could witness to them. Because um, usually when I'm focused on work, I'm just kind of focused on work. And, but I want, you know, God to open that door so Lord, Lord willing that will happen. <clears throat> what we're seeing here in, in uh, uh, we just got past those verses where a lot of people attribute this to, uh, um, they, they believe that this is speaking of Satan and the devil and so on and so forth. And when you look at it in the context, we've talked about this. Are there some attributes here of the devil? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you better believe it. Um, when he's, uh, you know, the, that's one of the things is when you are filled with pride, it blinds you. It blinds you from our fallenness. It blinds you from the sin. It blinds you from understanding who God is um, as we ought to know him. And um, but here is speaking specifically of the kings of Babylon and their attitudes that they had. As I've said, historically, this was a time when Assyria was uh, the ones who were uh, kind of in control of everything. And Babylon was going to be um, in control because um, they were going to overthrow the Assyrians. And the Assyrian king was the one who was um, uh, really the king of Babylon at this time. But there would be other kings that would come that uh, God is speaking to. And the one thing about pride is ultimately, the negative kind of pride, is it brings us low. It's, uh, you know, we're faced in the end with the great equalizer. What is the great equalizer? Well, it's when we take our last breath. If we live long enough, we're going to die, right? 100% mortality rate. Everyone will die. Um, you know, thanks, Adam. <laughs> you know, we'll have to talk about that one of these days. But that's the truth. So no matter how high and mighty a person may think that they are, they ultimately will come and succumb to the to the fact that death will, uh, it, you know, it is our last enemy. And it's the last enemy that will be tossed into the lake of fire. Praise God. And I hate death. I hate it. I've been dealing with way too much of it lately. Whether it's just personally, whether it's, you know, or friends. And, and uh, you know, I think it was on uh, uh, Facebook and some other places, you know, with uh, 
Rush Limbaugh and some of these other people and and just friends. Like, oh, I hate death. I'm so sick of death. One day it'll be gone. But not until the very, 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 very end. And But it's the one great equalizer. So no matter what, you know, no matter how tyrannical, no matter how despotic, no matter how um, a person is, is uh, uh, filled with, uh, with pride in their own eyes of, and their power and their... They're blinded by all those things. No matter how much of that, the megalomaniacs that are dependent on that pride, um, no matter how much they think of themselves, they'll all be laid low. Right? Ain't nobody going to get away with it. <laughs> They're going to come. And even worse yet, <clears throat> as I've said before to the anti-theists and those people in, in that camp, you know, it's uh, it's irrelevant what you believe that if you say that there's no afterlife and that there is no God and so on and so forth, because guess what? It don't matter what you think. You're going to deal with God. Every single person. And so it's the great equalizer where we all stand before the, the creator of all things, um, the one who is the sustainer and the provider. And this is the picture that we see here, the kings of Babylon um, that are... Uh, 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 that are um, have this attitude within them, and we're going to get to a place where we're going to a uh, you know we got a destination here, and we're going to talk about a different attitude. But the attitude here is the uh, boastful um, thoughts, full of pride and really nonsense of I wills, my I wills. Um, <clears throat> now I believe it was uh, I believe it's it's James that says, hey, you know don't. Don't say that tomorrow you're going to go into the city and do this kind of business and that kind of business and make all kinds of money. But say rather, if the Lord wills. Right? That's, that's a different, whole different attitude than I will. And the ridiculous I wills that are spoken of in verses uh, 13 and onward, that I will ascend above the throne of God. <laughs> Come on. But that's how crazy the pride is. It blinds us that we actually can think that. And um, please understand that all of us are susceptible. You have a lot of people that start, you know, talking you up and whatnot. It's very easy to get toppled over. They talk you up and all of a sudden you start believing it. And you get this inflated ego. Before you know it, you're a big balloon-headed guy or gal. And somebody comes along and pops that balloon. And it deflates you real fast. It's a great equalizer. And that's the type of pride that, uh, you know, God will deflate every single time. There's another type that we're going to get into in, in a little bit, and that is the, um, the way that uh, when you look at some of the Psalms, and when you think about the uh, um, some of the things that that uh, David and some of the other psalmists wrote, it's a different type of pride. It's, there's a humility built into it, and, and you're you're uh, uh, humble when we worship God. There's a humility. It's just built into it. It's because you're getting rid of yourself as much as possible. It would be so great to get ourselves totally out of the way. 
to be able to worship in total humility. That would be amazing. And it will come one of these days. But not yet. And But there is. There's this different sense. And so your focus is not on you and your accomplishments and what you can or can't do. It's a rather our focus is on the one who is worthy of all praise. And so I want to talk about that this morning as we, as we go along here. So um, uh, I want to begin with some of the Psalms here. As, uh, and before we do, we'll, uh, we'll open up in prayer. Um, but I want to read these verses here in, in uh, Isaiah so we can finish them up. And I want to start in verse 22 because it was um, um, one of the things that, that we noticed here is prior, God is talking about the I wills that the kings have spoken. And that is going to be in juxtaposition to God. Because when God says, I will, that's a whole different thing. That's a whole different game right there. And that is the, um, that is the wonder of it, is, is we can uh, uh, be prideful and, and I will whatever, but when God says I will, it's, it's going to be done. And so it's, it's put in contrast to one another. These men puff themselves up in pride. And they're just puffed up dirt. That's all they are. They can't live apart from God. And then God steps in and he says, I will. Notice in verse 22, he says, I will rise up against them. That's a, that's a for sure, I will. That's God himself. I mean, get that picture. God sitting and seated on his throne in the heavens. The earth is his footstool. And he says, I'm going to rise and I'm going to deal with them. That's a terrifying thought for these He's going to lay them low. He says, I will rise up against them, declares Yahweh of hosts, and will cut off from Babylon name and survivors, offspring and posterity, declares Yahweh. I'm going to cut them out. These people are not going to be anymore. And there's a contrast here. He says, I will also make it a possession for the hedgehog and swamps of water. I will sweep it with a broom of destruction, declares Yahweh of hosts. There's that military um, idea that is built into that word host in the, uh, in the Hebrew. And let's go on. It says in verse 24, the Lord of hosts, he, he's focusing now instead of just the king of Babylon. Now he's focusing on, he's remembering Assyria. And then he's going to remember Phil, uh, Philistia. And so he says, the Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, surely, just as I have intended, so it has happened. And just as I have planned, so it will stand. There's his I will. It's a for sure thing. To break Assyria in my land, and I will trample him on my mountains. Then his yoke will be removed from them, and his burden removed from their shoulder. This is the plan devised against the whole earth. And this is the hand that has stretched out against all the nations. For Yahweh of hosts has planned. And who can frustrate it? And as for his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? That's a pretty foreshore deal. And that's a, um, that can be a scary thing, but it's also a hopeful thing for his elect, for his faith, right? Because God will deal with all the injustice. It says in verse 28, um, 
In the year that King Ahaz died, the oracle came. Do not rejoice, O Philistia. All of you, because of the rod that struck you, is broken. For from the serpent's root, a viper will come out. And its fruit will be a flying serpent. Goes from bad to worse. (laughs) Um, And those who are most helpless will eat. And the needy will lie down in, in security. And I will destroy your root with fathom, with famine, and it will kill off your survivors. Wail, O gate. Cry, O city. Melt away, O Philistia. All of you, for smoke comes from the north, and there is no straggler in his ranks. How then will one answer the messenger of the nation that the Lord has founded Zion? And the afflicted of his people will seek refuge in it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Lord, we turn to your word. I pray that we would focus on uh, what is here. And that we will, um, Lord, that you would just convict us of our sin. That you would um, remind us of the great salvation that is found and redemption that is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that your word would just um, permeate through in our through through our souls and our spirit, and that it would do what only it can do, um, because you send it. Father, I thank you for everything that you have given us, and I pray, Lord, that you would have your way here, that your spirit would move and move in us and move us. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your patience and your kindness and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you are the God who is the God of forgiveness. Remember us in your mercy, Lord. Thank you, Father, for everything. And I pray, open up these uh, things to our eyes, ears, minds, and hearts. For your name's sake, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So here Isaiah, his focus is shifted from the I wills, focusing on the the I wills that man, the kings have, have said to the I wills that God will definitely accomplish. There's no boasting in that. It's just a sure thing. And so God immediately says, I will rise up against it. And he declares it. He himself is the one who says, this is what I'm going to do. He's going to cut off uh, from Babylon the name, the survivors. Offspring and posterity, declares the Lord. One of the things to keep in mind, um, the enemies of God, the pagans who hate God and who who just want nothing to do with God. God is, is um, um, as we started in, in Isaiah, we saw that in the very beginning, God is the one who chooses. God is sovereign in those things. He, he determines what he's going to do. And he doesn't just uh, um, go along with the, with the, and roll with the punches. He's actually decreed these things from of old, from ancient times, from eternity past. And he chooses to do as he wills in accordance with his good will. And everything that he does has a purpose. There's a reason for it. And he immediately hears, is uh, saying that he's, he's uh, going to cut them off. They will not have a pros- uh, posterity. They will not have any progeny. They won't have. And you think about the people, uh, the Canaanites, when they came and, and inhabited those lands. We don't have those ites, all those different ites. We don't have those Canaanites, those Jebusites, those... Hittites and the Shuhites. 
Those are the really short guys. And we don't have any of those. Why? Because God has cut them off. Because he said he would. Right? Same thing here. He's going to do that. And that's one of the one of the contrasts that you see. The enemies of God, they have no prosperity. They are left without. But the people of God promise God will always have a remnant. He will save some. He will save some and redeem them. That's his great promise. That's the contrast between the enemies of God and the faithful of God. Those whom he has chosen. He's going to make their possession. Um, it's only fit for animals. It's not fit, fit for humans anymore. I, I, I love that picture. Here comes the broom of destruction. <laughs> you know, I, I think of, uh, um, you know, when you have uh, uh, spiders in your house, and you have webs and you see spiders and, and you see them in the web. And you go grab that broom. Bam! Get rid of them, right? At least I do. And uh, that's the idea. It's going to destroy you right where you're at. The broom of destruction is what God has promised for his enemies. He's going to deal with that pride. Pride puffs you up and there's nothing to be proud of. Um, so the, so uh, I want to focus now on, on an opposite type of, of pride in, in Psalm 9, 1 and 2. Listen to what the words of David. He says it like this. He says, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. There's something in there that maybe it's the battery. I don't know. Let me step away from that and see if we can't stop that. Um, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will listen to these I will. Now notice the difference in, in, uh, in uh, uh, verses 13. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the, the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Now this is the, the humility of a faithful, fearer of God, a God-fearing man. He says, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. A whole different aspect. He's not focused on himself. He's like, I'm going to tell of your wonders. Um, I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High. That's humility. That's worship. That's adoration. That's understanding he's puffed up dirt. Like, I'm puffed up dirt. That's all I am. God is good. And I'm going to praise him. In Psalm 22, he says, I will tell of your name to my brethren in the public, in the, in the fellowship. He says, I'm going to tell of you. I will tell of your name to my brethren. In other words, I'm going to make you something while I make myself nothing. Right? That's the difference here. And in this type of humility and praise, it's a different type of a, of a, of a pride. It's pride in who God is as our God. I mean, think about it. God didn't have to show himself to anyone. He didn't have to relate to anyone. He didn't have to save anyone. He didn't have to redeem or reconcile. He could have left us in the misery that we deserve. He could have left us with the understanding that there's a judgment day coming and we're going to spend eternity in hell in the hellfire. 
That's what he could have done. And he would have been right to do it. And he would have been just to do that. Because of our disobedience. Because of our sin. Because of our our, uh, rebellion against the holy God. But no, when we're humble and when we're the faithful of God, we can cry out these types of things. I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. There's no shame in his game. He doesn't care what people think. He's going to praise God in the midst of the assembly. Uh, Verse 23 says, You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify Him. Stand in awe of Him. All you descendants of Israel. That's our legacy. We're called to do that. We're called to praise Him. To rejoice in Him. Um, I want to read from Psalm uh, verses 118. Excuse me. Psalm 118. So over to the left a little bit. In Psalm 118. And uh, I want to read verses 15 through uh, 29. Because you have much of the same uh, kind of expression that is here this humility this different kind of focus it's not a focus in self in what you can or can't do it's focused totally on God listen Psalm 118 starting in verse 15 there's the sound of joyful um, shouting and salvation in the tents of the righteous the right hand of the Lord does valiantly the right hand of the Lord is exalted The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but live. You can almost replace that with, I will not die, but I will live. It's talking about eternal life. And tell of the works of the Lord. You see, the focus is God. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but He's not giving me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. Hallelujah. I shall give thanks to thee, for thou hast answered me. Thou hast become my salvation. When our salvation is understood and it's pure, we can cry out with that confidence. And it's not a boastful pride, not in us, but it's an understanding. Listen to what he said. You have become my salvation. I'm only saved because of you. And no other reason. Amen? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And we know who that stone is. That's the one cornerstone, right? Everything's built upon this. He has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Oh Lord, do save, we beseech you. Oh Lord, we beseech thee, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. What is our prosperity? The one who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen? The Lord is God. Listen to that. Yahweh is Elohim. Right? 
And he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Thou art my God. And I love that. It's expressing in the assembly, he is our God. We are his children. And we can express in the same breath, but he is my God. And I love that about our God. That we can both be corporate and be singularly uh, us as well. We, we can be, it's personal and it's intimate. Um, thou art my God, I give thanks to thee. Thou art my God, I extol thee. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his loving kindness, his chesed, is everlasting. For those who are faithful. different, whole different kind of pride. It's a whole different focus. It's not focused on this horizontal stuff. This world and the realities that we're living in, it's focused rather than that which is in the Spirit. That which only God can do. That which only God will do. That is the difference in, in, in how we see these things. And we're going someplace. So, so let's, uh, let's keep that in mind. Um, let's jump back to verse 22 here in, here in Isaiah. God says, I will rise up against them, and I will cut off from Babylon name and survivor, offspring, posterity, declares the Lord. He declares it. That's a horrible thing when you think about it. He cut off an entire people, and he's done it over and over and over. And here's the thing. Every time, it's true. It's hard to reconcile that. It's hard to wrestle with. Because everything that God does is good. Everything, every every um, act of justice that He performs is good because of His nature, because of His perfection. And it doesn't bode well, and it doesn't sit well with us in our natural state. We don't like it. We don't like it. There's been many times when I've read stuff. Uh, I remember when. I was early on in my Christian walk and reading things and going, Lord, I don't understand. This just doesn't seem fair. This doesn't seem to be right. And that's the position of a lot of people. A lot of pagans use that as an excuse. They're making a moral judgment against the one who is perfect. Scary place to be. But that's how blinded we become. Here's this puffed up dirt saying, how could God do this? I like to answer them real simply, and sometimes it sounds a little flippant, a little bit put off. Because he's God and he can. That works. He's God and he can. He has the right to. Not one of us has a right to demand another breath. Not a one of us. And yet, here we are. And he's given it. And he continues to give it. That's that grace, that universal grace that he provides. Both the wicked and the faithful. He says, I'm going to rise up against you. I'm going to cut you off and make your, your possession. It's just going to be, you know, only animals can live there. And notice that uh, Assyria and his enemies have no remnant. I'm going to cut you off. But to his people. The people that he loves. And the people who love him back, 
because they've realized we love God because He loved us first. Those people He promises a remnant. I'm going to keep a remnant. I'm going to have a people for myself always. This is the promise of the faithful of God uh, um, that He will always provide a, uh, a remnant and have one. Uh, he interjects with His own I wills to oppose the proud, to bring them low. You're thinking in your heart, I will do this. God says, no, I'm going to do this. I will do this. And as it says in, uh, um, in different parts of, of the Old Testament, the zeal of God will perform. It's His zeal that will make it come to pass. Verse 23 says, I will also make, a, uh, make it a possession for the hedgehogs and the swamps of water, and I will sweep it with a broom of destruction. Um, that is, uh, um, it's not just going to be dealing with the people, he's going to be dealing with their things that they have built. And it will speak loudly to them. Because when we build cities, and the men of importance like to see their names on buildings, on little placards, and little things, and so they can tell people, see that building over there? My name's on it. Pride. God says, I'm going to take that and sweep it with a broom of destruction. There won't be anything to take pride in anymore. He says now he switches and he, he his focus is no longer the king of Babylon only. Now it's also against Assyria. And he says in verses 24 and 25, the Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, surely, just as I have intended, so it has happened. And just as I have planned, so it will stand to break Assyria in my land. I will trample him on my mountain. Then his yoke will be removed from them and his burden removed from their children. The yoke is that which they burdened the people with. They would take over a people and they would burden them with all different kinds of slave type labor. And they would, that's what they would do. They would use them and utilize them. You know, in the, uh, um, in the movie series, The Matrix, I remember a scene, I was thinking about this the other day, I remember there was a scene where the first time I watched it, one of the uh, early on, before they, they got all uh, uh, killed in The Matrix, uh, one of the gals says to, to um, Neo, I think his name was, they called him Coppertop. He called him a copper top. And I had to stop and go, what's that about? Copper top. You get a little bit further in the movie and then you see, yeah, you see what it is. They're actually these things that have taken over. They burden them and they keep them in these, these capsule, you know, these encapsulated things and that they use the energy that, that people have as batteries to energize their stuff. And that's the type of burden they, burden you and they lock you down and, and put you in chains and keep you burdened and he says I'm going to do away with that heavy yoke I'm going to break it kind of reminds you of Matthew chapter 11 right come unto me all you who are weary heavy burdened and I will give you rest take my yoke on you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble heart and you will find rest for your soul my yoke is easy my burden whole different kind of a yoke. 
one that we like today. It's one that carries us and keeps us. God says, I'm going to break your yoke from these people and from my people. Verse 26 and 27, this is the plan devised against the whole earth. Now God, in His uh, prerogative, He has the right to judge the entire world. He says so right there. And nobody can complain. We do. <laughs> and they do, the pagans, uh, those that say that they don't believe in God, that's one of the things that they hate. They know that there's a judgment coming. They know that within themselves there is a God. They just deny His existence. He's different. That's why I call them amphitheists. Not atheists. They know that there's a God. And He says, I've devised this plan against the whole earth. So it's not just one localized area. It's to show God's sovereignty over His entire creation. He has the right to do with it as He pleases. And that doesn't, again, that doesn't sit well with us in our natural state. It doesn't bode well for us either. We don't like it. We don't like it. Um, how many of us struggle with the, the things that we don't or can't control? I mean, control freaks are out there going, yeah. And really, we're not in control of anything when you really think about it. But God says, I've devised this whole plan against the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out against all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has planned, and who can frustrate it? Great question. Rhetorical, of course. Like, are you really going to frustrate God's plan? No. No, you're not. Um, no matter how hard you try. And as for his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? And God is sentenced and uh, determined to judge. Can't turn it back. Can't turn it back. It's his will. And as we pray, and we should be praying, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will. Hallow your name here on earth as it is in heaven. Good work. This is, uh, this is the idea. It's a whole different type of aspect. And, and we're going to get to uh, uh, the um, attitude that we should have. Let's continue on. Um, who can turn it back? No one. Um, verse 28, in the year that King Ahaz died, um, do, it says, do not rejoice, O Philistia. Now, uh, the Philistines were the uh, the uh, main thorn in the side for these the Israelites. Um, they caused all kinds of mischief and all kinds of misery. And they were like the uh, arch nemesis of the Israelites, the people of God. And he says, because the rod that struck you is broken. So um, Assyria was burdening all these people, not just the Israelites. And God says, do not rejoice, O Philistia, all of you, because the rod that struck you is broken. For from the serpent's root, a viper will come out. And this is even worse. The only thing worse than... Having a serpent, you're having to watch for a serpent everywhere you go. The only thing worse is to have a flying serpent. I love, I love God's language that He uses so that we can understand. That's even worse. For those who hate snakes, imagine ones that come flying at you. 
And they're filled with poison. That's even worse. Remember what it said in the, in the wandered in the wilderness, the fiery serpent. When they bit you, it was nasty. But praise God that he said, just look. Look up on the hill. There's a symbol that I put so that the poison doesn't kill you. Praise God for that. But he's saying, this is what's going to happen. Out of this, I'm going to do this. I'm going to add a fiery serpent, a flying one no less. This is what's going to happen. So don't, don't get all proud. Don't get all proud here. Verse 30, those who are the most helpless will eat and the needy will lie in, down in security. I will destroy your root with famine and it will kill off your survivors. In other words, those who you have burdened, I'm going to take care of them, even the most poor. The outcasts, the orphans, the widows, those who can't work. Not those who will not work. No, not them, but those who cannot. Because I'm going to take care of it and I'm going to feed them. I'm going to provide them. Here's God in that, uh, in that place where He is um, not only just the creator, not only just the sustainer, He's the provider of both the just and the unjust. He sends the rains to both. Right? The wicked, the faithful. And He provides so that they can have an abundance. He says, I'm going to feed them, I'm going to take care of them, but I'm going to destroy you all the way down to the root. And once the root is destroyed, there's no more plant. It's dead. There's no more hope for it. Um, in verse 31, Wail, O gate, cry, O city. Melt away, O Philistia, all of you, for smoke comes from the north. What God is going to use in order to deal with them is another people, and they're going to come from the north. And listen, he says there's no straggler in his reign. These are going to be strong, warrior-type guys. Here's God again um, proclaiming another form of justice that he will do and judgment. In verse 32, he says, How then will one answer the messengers of the nation? That the Lord has founded Zion, and the afflicted of his people will seek refuge. I'm providing a place. We've heard that from the very lips of Jesus. I'm, I'm going. I'm going. And I'm going to provide a place. In my father's house. Many, many mansions. Many rooms. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I, I will come back. And I will receive you to myself. That where I am, there also you may be. Yeah. Praise God. And he's the best carpenter that's ever been. Amen. Hallelujah. Yeah. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm building your place. Your own place. And I'm going to go and I'm going to come back. Receive you to myself. Whole different attitude. In Isaiah chapter, Isaiah, the, the beginning of chapter 14, we saw God in his sovereign choice. We see immediately that he deals with the, with the peoples who have um, overtaken his people. And, and although that was his judgment, he's going to deal with them anyway, because he's just. And man has fallen. I don't know if that's 
news to you. Man is not good. He's, he's bad. I know. I'm one of them. And I say that in all sincerity. It's horrible, the afflictions of, of uh, people who have been awakened, called from the grave by God, when we start looking at who we really are and what we really are. In light of who Christ is. In light of His perfection. In the light of His glory and majesty and His purity and His holiness. We begin to see ourselves for who we are. And it, it's not too good. It's, uh, as our, some of our uh, um, heavily accented uh, Hispanic folk would say, I remember in certain job sites, it's not too very good. It's not too very good. <laughs> it's not. It is not too very good. When we see ourselves in light of who God is, but praise God that He does. He sends His Spirit who convicts us of our sin to draw us to Himself so that we can see that and that we can go and be broken before God and cry out, Father, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy. I'm a sinner. I need a a Savior. And you say you have provided one. He died on a cross. Innocent. Perfect. A perfect lamb. He died. He was buried. But oh, he didn't stay there. He rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. You provided that. And I believe that. Forgive me of my sin. That image of a serpent and a stake. On the hill, so that that poison wouldn't kill me. Although I deserve it, it won't, because you have provided. And as David has said, God has become my salvation. A whole different look and outlook, a whole different attitude. It's a wonderful thing to be um, in the. Uh, um, to be in that place of humility where we can really worship and adore God for who He is. And I love that, that we can look to that. Not to look at God for what we can get or what He can supply for us or any of those things. But when we get to the place where we simply come to God because we want to be with God. I want to be in His presence. I want to experience and seek His face. I want to know what that's like. I want to be crying out, Lord, purify me. Cleanse me. Holify me. I just want to be in your presence. I just want to know that and experience that in, in a way that I never have. And it's not just about the experience. It's about who God is. And when you come to know God. And when you are confronted by God in a good way, you can't help but be changed. No one can have an encounter with Jesus Christ and not be changed. You will be changed. You will be changed. There's no way that you can remain the same if you had a true encounter with Christ. And if you're out there listening and if you're you're out there in the in the and and uh, hearing the word of God. Understand this: 
that if your life hasn't changed and you say that you're a Christian, you better be sure. Because you cannot have an encounter with a living Christ and not be changed. And if your life has not changed, you better check your salvation. You better check your salvation. Because He will change you. That's His promise. People love to preach about the unconditional love of God. I like to say, um, well, you know, I've read all the way from Genesis through Revelation, and I see conditions. I see conditions. And the main one is, it's conditional upon Him. It's conditional upon Him. For you who are who are married, and especially men, when you chose your bride, you chose your bride. You chose to love her. You still choose. As Christian men, we should choose to love our wives with everything that we have. And when you don't feel like it, and you're wandering around, you need to choose your wife. Choose to love her. Because that's what God did. He looked at us and saw us as uh, in the, the wordless book on the black page. That's all he saw was darkness. Genesis confirms that in two different chapters, before and after the flood. It says so. This is what God saw. He chose to love us anyway. Simply because He's God and He can. It's His prerogative. It's conditional upon God. Totally. I would like to finish with this in Psalm 145. 21 verses. Won't take too long to get through. But it's powerful. It's a whole different purpose. Focus. It's a whole different um, attitude. It says this. It says Psalm 145. It says, I will extol thee, my God, O King. Listen to how he starts. I mean, it's just powerful. Totally focused. And that place, wherever, whatever has brought him to this place, he begins with, I will extol thee, my God, O King. And I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day I will bless thee. I will praise thy name forever and ever. And you can keep on going forever and ever and ever. Great is the Lord, highly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another. And shall declare thy mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of thy majesty. And on thy wonderful works, I will meditate. His focus is on the works of God, not on his own. I will meditate on those things, on your wonderful works. And men shall speak of the power of thine awesome acts. And I will tell of thy greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of thine abundant goodness and shall Shout joyfully of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all. And his mercies are over all his works. 
All thy works shall give thanks to thee, O Lord. And thy godly ones shall bless thee. Are you his godly ones? Make sure of that today. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom. And talk of thy power. And make known to the sons of men thy mighty acts. And the glory of the majesty of thy kingdom. And thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And thy dominion endures throughout all generations. Eternal, y'all. There's no end. And it began so long ago. And it continues to today. And it will continue forever. Verse 14. The Lord sustains all who fall. Have you fallen? God can pick you up. There's no pit that is so deep that God can't reach you. And He raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to thee, and thou dost give them their food in due time. Thou dost open thy hand, and dost satisfy the desires of every living thing. Yahweh is righteous in all his ways, and kind in all his deeds. Yahweh is near to all who call upon him. To all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desires of those who fear him. And will also hear the cry and will save them. The Lord keeps all who love him. But all the wicked will he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of Yahweh, the Lord. And all flesh will bless his holy name forever. That's a whole different attitude. That's not this attitude of I will and boasting of whatever. No, but rather as believers. For those who come to Christ. Know him. Because of humility. It's not an I will attitude. Unless it's I will praise Him. I will bless His holy name. I will sing of His praises in the assembly. The attitude as the elect of God, we should have this attitude in ourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. That although He existed in the form of God, He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself. Taking the form of a bondservant. Being found in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. For this reason God highly exalted him. And bestowed upon him the name. Which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the Lord. To the glory of God the Father. That's Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Humility is our posture. And when we come to Him in pure humility, we can be certain that we can worship and adore Him. Bless Him. The only I wills that will utter is I will bow before you, O Lord. I will call upon your name. I will glorify your name. I will praise you in the heights. 
and in the depths. I will praise you forever and ever. I will glorify you forever and ever. Because you have saved and you have become my salvation. This is the posture of the Christian. The attitude that we should have. Pride in who God is. Praise in who he is. Exalting him in who he is. Adoring him as he is. Honoring him as he is. Worshiping him because he's worthy. And when we do this, we have this attitude and this posture. He will mature us and prosper us. Not in money, although that would be nice. He will prosper us in spirit. He will prosper us in abundant life. He will, because He is. He is. Jesus Christ is our prosperity. He's the one that makes us wealthy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness and your grace. I thank you for these wonderful psalms that remind us of how wonderful and glorious that you are. That we could sing such things when we're in our time of prayer. Forgetting of ourselves and focusing on the wonders and the grandeur, the majesty and the glory. That is our God and King. That is our Holy Father. That is our divine Master. And glorious King. Lord we thank you. We praise you. We bless you. For you are good. I pray Lord that you would help us. Help us to be humble. Help us to come to you. In humility. And to only focus on you. That we may prosper for your namesake and for your glory's sake. That your kingdom would prosper and grow. Thank you, Lord, for all these things and more. Thank you that you will deal with the prideful. That you will deal with your enemies. And that you will do so justly. And that that is your promise. All over the earth, no one will ultimately get away with it. We thank you, Lord. We praise you for salvation. We love you for the words that God has become my salvation. It is corporate for your people. And it is personal for us individually. What a glorious God that you are. Unsearchable in all your chesed, your loving kindness. Thank you, Lord, for all these things and more. We exalt you. We thank you. We praise you. We bless you in the name that is above every name, in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.